The world has gone insane. Cosplayers rule the conventions. Gamers dominate the tabletop and the internet. Sci-fi subjugates the movies. And fantasy rules the bookstore with an iron fist. Only one group can bring order to this unruly mob. A team of uber geeks, masters of the nerdly arts, trained for decades in the hobby shops and basements of the nation. Mobilized by the secret masters, they are the Department of Nerdly Affairs. Hello, operatives, and welcome to the Department of Nerdly Affairs. I'm your host, Rob Patterson, here with my co-host, Don Chisholm. Well said, Don, well said. And tonight, we're going to be talking about robots in popular culture. And to talk about robots in popular culture, we've brought in the most human person we know, nudge, nudge, wink, wink, Jack Ward. (laughs) Welcome back to the show, Jack. Thank you so much. I am really only as human as you can guess. Actually, we've met, so you know I'm at least looking human. Well, you so. you are mm. one of the best androids I've ever met, Jack. <laughs> Thank you. One of the nicest, anyway. You're not My like last that name is data. Batty. Jack Batty. <laughs> <laughs> He's seen things you wouldn't believe. <laughs> That's right. And my expiry date is coming up in about 30 minutes. <laughs> Uh-oh, well, we better get this uh, episode recorded real fast then. So, as I said, tonight we're going to be talking about robots in popular culture. And I think the best place to start with robots in popular culture is... Well, actually, I have no idea because robots have been a part of popular culture since ancient Greece. And that covers a whole lot of time. Where do you think mm-hmm. we should start, Don? Um, well, like we usually start with a definition, I guess. Okay, then let's do that. So what's a definition uh, that, besides the one that Carl Capek came up for, Rossum's Universal Robots, which is, of course, the origin of the word. And in that case, robota in Czech apparently means something to the effect of hard labor or kind of slave. Yeah. Um, that's the definition of the term that, that we use. The concept, I think, is, uh, well, most people think of as a robot. I'm going to expand to the idea of any kind of, we'll say, self-mobilizing construct. Okay. What do you mean by self-mobilizing? It's it's a device that it may not make decisions, because, again, we, we tend to, to ascribe robots a decision-making process. It's something that can move and do something of its own volition once you set it and set it into action. And when you say own volition, you mean that in a very general sense, obviously. I mean, you know, a Roomba is a robot and yeah. it doesn't really move above its own. Uh, it has no idea what it's really doing. It just kind of knows it's programming to wander around the room and suck up dust. Yeah. And that's where you get into complications because people think of robots like um, C-3PO. Mm-hmm. And sh- sure, that's that's one type of robot, but a more realistic kind of robot that we run into is like a Roomba. It's a device that, it's a tool that does its its job on its own. Right. Like we don't necessarily have to sit there and, and like a hammer, I have to keep swinging. Mm. Um, a, a factory robot will keep hammering as long as it has power and its program tells it to kind of thing. Right, yeah. Okay, that makes sense. So in other words, you really mean any kind of 
uh, I guess you could say, device that does uh, work on its own. Yeah, but, it's, 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 but the hang up a that, sec, then oh, is technically a windmill a robot then? Because it sits there and you can put, you dump grain into it and it'll grind all the grain and everything for you. Is that technically a robot? I would be inclined to say that, yeah, basically it's a super primitive robot. Huh. Okay. What do you think, Jack? I, I would say that it has to have some kind of, uh, brain mechanism of some sort to be able to make uh changes of decisions or else it's an automated device mm. that's that's what the way, what i would put because i was thinking about the same thing as you don and i was thinking is like i don't know if you guys know of hero of alexandria you better he's like remind my, us he's like my favorite scientist because he developed like so many things mm. way back at about 10 ad mm-hmm. and so he created like the um a steam a bunch of steam powered devices uh one was like a wind like he's he invented the wind wind wheel uh the wind wheel the wind wheel the wind wheel okay yes he also created the first vending machine Mm -hmm. um and he he also created which was this is where it gets close to being robots he actually created like a whole play with automatons uh, doing the play, like robotic, ancient robotic automatons mm-hmm. that were in grooves that would move from one place to another and actually do full, like, full stories and the whole bit. Way, way back, as you can imagine, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. He did uh, force pumps. He did He did a ton of different stuff. He's an incredibly interesting guy. And he had something called the Alio Pile, which was really interesting, too. So it's kind of like the... Which was a rocket-like reaction engine. First recorded steam engine was the mm. Alio Pile. Okay. So, so okay. again, I my, if I think about robots, I think that they have to have some sort of rudimentary brain with functionality and that are artificially built in one way or another. Hmm. Yeah, I can I can see that because I think um, what you've what you've gotten at is the point at which a device becomes well the the first step on that path to what we would generally conceive of as a robot. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That it's that idea the windmill will do what it does until it can't. Mm-hmm. But something that we would consider towards closer to a robot would be a windmill that could stop itself and adjust its operation based on the circumstances. So I think, yeah, I think, I think that's probably a, that's probably the uh, bestest definition for robot we can come up with. Okay. The only thing is, is that if you look into the history of robots, for example, or automata or automata, whatever, automata, mm-hmm. I guess it'd be, um, as they were called before Rossum, you know, termed the, made the modern term robot. Uh, you can find them, as I said, throughout history, since ancient Greece, you can find plays that, uh, did themselves and things that like what hero of Alexandria did. Um, mm-hmm. but many of them, they were really, they call them robots, but really they were just following a set pattern. Like they, they did, couldn't exactly react to the circumstances at all they were in. They simply did what they were just automatic, automated devices that just did whatever uh, you told them to do or whatever they were made to do. In this case, they weren't really told to do anything. Yeah, I think I think that there's there's a bit of a catch, and this is where again mm-hmm. the idea of of wrapped around the axle comes into it almost literally. But because 
because Harrow's the guy, he invented the, um, it was basically a vending machine for soap and water, wasn't it? Yeah, it was like, they called it like some kind of holy water thing. Yeah. yeah. Where you, you put the coin on the pressure pad, mm-hmm. very simply, and as the coin like slid down, it was on sort of, a, you know, the pad itself would, would tilt, and as it would tilt, there'd be a, a certain amount of water that would pour, uh, pour out the bottom. Oh, and I then see. when when the coin dropped, it would tilt back and the water would stop. Mm-hmm. And that's that's kind of an automata. It's not quite a robot. I would think. Yeah. But but it's it's that first step. It's something that can make a decision. It's 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 a fountain mm-hmm. that when you put a coin or a slug or or because as, as I recall, it had to be a certain size. It was it was kind of like a vending machine. It was like a slot that the coin rolled into. Right. But this thing is making it's it's not really making a decision, but it's operating based on some kind of outside circumstance. Like uh no coin, no water, coin water. It's 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 a very simple yeah. you get a little bit more advanced because if you think in like feudal era Japan, they had automata that would serve tea. Yes, they did. Right. And it would be like a big wind-up thing. And it looked kind of like a like a weird little chubby monk. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> they had a few different kinds. And it would, like, roll out. And it was geared to, so that it would move in a certain pattern. It would go out X number of meters and then turn. Because mm-hmm. that was where the table was. And it would come up. And it would be measured out ahead of time that it would come to different spots with, like, a cup of tea. And if you took the cup off of it, it removed the weight and it reactively the gears would continue on and it would move back to 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 the kitchen and when right. it would come back and you'd put the cup on mm-hmm. if it was set to return then it would come back with like the empty cup return it back to the kitchen and they had ones that were programmed um if it hit something and couldn't move forward it would like shift gears and like either move backwards or just kind of stop Huh. And that's mm-hmm. th- those all kind of are, are are getting to that idea of it's making a decision isn't the right word because it's kind of doing its programming. But mm-hmm. anybody who studied BF Skinner knows that there might not be that big a difference between making a decision and following programming. Very true. So, do you think that maybe the like the the hard difference is the Turing test? I I see that comes later on. You got to remember. Uh, the idea of what we call a robot mm-hmm. does kind of come from uh, Carl Capek, and that's not till like 1920. Yeah, didn't did they pronounce it robot or robot? Because yeah. I know in in, in radio, old time radio, they call them robots. Robot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Actually, which is apparently because it's from robata, so they okay. they would hmm. call them like robot. Apparently, okay. in um, Czech. I believe that's what I've seen the pronunciation listed as anyway. Yeah. I've, again, I've never heard yeah. it pronounced. Czech but... old-fashioned, like 1940s X minus one. And they, for some reason, there's a lot of robots. 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 <laughs> robots. <laughs> Sounds like a mechanical frog, doesn't it? Robot. It does, exactly. Robot. I was thinking that. It sounds like a mechanical frog. It, so, it, but, it and does those, mean... of course, are robots as we would understand the mechanical men, basically. Yes. Yeah. Because it... It it gets to um, it gets to a weird spot because this is something mm-hmm. I think we're gonna keep coming back to. Okay, uh, that idea of a mechanical man because if you look at robots in pop culture, mm-hmm. and this is why I think we've got a decent workable definition. Mm-hmm. 
what would you guys say is the first example of like a robot or an automaton in pop culture? I'm going to go with Golem. I was going to say that too, yeah. Because wasn't there a Golem movie done in like the teens, I think it was? Yeah. And it goes all the way back. Like, I mean, it's it's one of the earliest uh, references to, you know, a man-made artificial life. Yeah. That, you know, goes back to Hebrew or Jewish lore kind of thing, and maybe even earlier. I mean, there, there are older references. Um, the Greek god Hephaestus apparently had a whole army of uh, golems or automata that basically yeah. served him. In, in according oh, cool. To, so there were, the idea of like non-human like these, basically living statues, whatever, is an old idea. Um, right. The Chinese Remember Talos? The Chinese had them too in like 10th century BC from what I can see as well. Yeah, um, sweet. So there are references to them in ancient China. Ancient India has references. The ancient people were fascinated by the idea of automata. Like they really yep. were. They There were lots of them. But if we're going to go forward, um, modern robots start with Karl Kapek. It really is that simple Be- for the most part. Before, before we do that, and I want to just uh, comment on your ancient uh, point do you think that people were so fascinated and are still fascinated today because of our need to sort of see ourselves create something in our own image? Yeah, see, I think you're getting at something because I would argue mm-hmm. that the very first example of robots in pop culture, mm-hmm. and this, this is the, the first of the weird things that I mentioned before we were recording I was going to bring up. Right. The first example is us humanity because if if you look uh, okay yeah, if you look back there's a lot of legends like creation legends and creation stories that some higher being created us mm-hmm. uh for like the the judeo-christian history it's god that made us from from the earth mm-hmm. uh you go back the idea that prometheus with uh, the ancient gods was the one that created humanity and gave life to humanity that was that was the fire that he gave us wasn't just, you know, here's how to like burn your fingers off. It was the fire of life. It was because remember that was that was like the, the Greeks that thought mm-hmm. that you had the four elements. Fire was the one that made stuff active because fires would burn and change stuff. Right. Um, it goes back if you're a, a, a Giorgio Seleucolos fan, then it's the Anunnaki that built us to be their slaves because they were aliens that came to Earth to mine the gold. Uh huh. But that, but again, that comes from the the legends of like the uh, the ancient Persians, and that that there's this idea that we're the creation of a higher power, and there's always at least the implication that we were created to some end, even if it's not explicitly uh, detailed. Okay. Yeah. And, no, you're right. And mm, I say I that's important. That. Yeah. Yeah, because that gets to what Jack gets at. There's this weird love-hate thing that we have with with robots, and I think part of it is because it's a two-way concern. One, it's the idea of us, we're playing God, and we're tampering with things that may be beyond what we were ever meant to know. Mm-hmm. And I think there's also this subconscious fear that if we can successfully play God and we can create life of some sort... What does that say about God? Maybe God isn't this divine, all-powerful, all-knowing being that looks out for us that we thought it was. 
And what does it mean that Lucifer is actually the very first bug in the operating system? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and and it's true because that 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 idea of the 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 trickster or the tempter or the evil one mm-hmm. is always part of it. And it's it's like like Jack says, he called it the bug in the system. That's an interesting way of looking at it because you always wonder if there's an all powerful being that made the universe. How did that get in? And then it's mirrored in the fact that a lot of our our robot are creating life stories. Mm-hmm. The, the 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 scientist that does it, their hubris always leads to their downfall because their creation is never perfect in one way or another. Mm-hmm. It's like a it's always it always comes not always but often it comes down to the idea that it's blasphemy to even consider that you could do better mm-hmm. than the Almighty, you know, in that respect. Yeah. I yeah, and then part of our culture, especially Judeo-Christian culture, is that idea that creating life is wrong. That's something only God mm. can do. But I'm right? gonna I'm gonna put that argument out there too, because remember, if you're gonna mm-hmm. use the Judeo-Christian ideal, which holds through a lot of uh, theological traditions, mm-hmm. we are created in the image of God or the gods, whatever that means. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where that idea of our hubris being our downfall and and us going where we're not meant to go Mm -hmm. reflects that weird subconscious fear that if we're not perfect and we're made in the image of God, that might imply that God is not perfect. And for people who believe in some kind of like divine being, that's got to be a supremely terrifying thought. Hmm. And I think that, and I think that that's something that, you kind of see in a sideways kind of way. It's not necessarily consciously there. Because I've never heard... Um, the only time I've heard that idea of it expressed was the first episode of Saturday Night Live with George Carlin. Oh, uh, okay. Because he said that he got in a lot of trouble for saying that. If we're made in God's yeah. image and we suck, what does that say about God? Yeah. And he got in trouble. He got censured by the church for saying that. And I've never heard that idea before, but... If you look at a lot of our our science run amok kind of stories, mm-hmm. I think that's part of the tampering in God's domain kind of thing. It's it's the idea like when you hit that point where as a kid you realize your parents are not infallible. That that's what this implies, and that's one of the things that that we're subconsciously afraid of as a species, and that's why this kind of always works its way in. In in some ways, though, I mean. When you, th- if we're getting very, you know, existential and everything, but Go ahead. creating, <laughs> c- creating, uh, God creating human beings as perfect is boring, mm-hmm. right? It's right. sort of like I, I always say, you know, and I and I'm kind of in in love with the whole idea that we're living in a virtual reality right now, uh, just because I'm doing a lot of reading <laughs> on it. But um, people say, well, you know, then why why am I here and why am I not Bill Gates or something and making all this <laughs> kind of money? I'm like, when you think about it, if you play, buy a video game, the most fun you have is those first few levels when you've got nothing and you're figuring everything out. Right. Mm-hmm. Right? And then when you get to a certain level of like 40 or 50 and nothing can kill you in that world or something like that, you start all over again or you play a new game. You get bored more than you actually finish the game half the time. Mm-hmm. Right. So the idea of creating something perfect is in and of itself a flawed idea. You get more interest out of looking like, for example, I don't know if this was the same with your lovely wife, Connie, Rob, but Mm. when my lovely wife came to Canada, 
I was reinvigorated by seeing Canada through her eyes. Yep, definitely, yeah. And so it was this innocence that we that we get so much more from. And I think that's part of the appeal that we have in looking at robots that are designed to be like human beings in popular culture. They're they're kind of childlike in the way that they observe the world. Everything mm. is new for them and mm. they're on this kind of learning level in the same way. And so they're they're often considered almost like children. You know what I mean? It, I think about uh that Robin Williams uh movie Bicentennial Man mm-hmm. or um that other movie and, and just the name just escapes me now, which is so desperately sad that Steven Spielberg did. Mean and AI? I'll never watch AI, yes, it's like one of the saddest movies of all time, um, where where you you feel for these robots for the reason that y- you know where they're going and it's not a good place. It's isolation. Mm-hmm. It's depression. It's they have deeper understandings about human nature that is only going to get worse and worse and worse as time goes by. Mm. Hmm. Okay, that yeah, that's pretty bad. Actually, that brings in an interesting idea. So how about I just I'm I'm just tossing this one out here, okay? Is mm-hmm. that what if robots, okay, are children made by man? And by man I mean literally men. Because we cannot actually create life. You know, we can help participate a little bit in it, but you know, ultimately women are the ones who give birth to children. And right. but we men don't. And mm. but Robots are actually children that we can create. They're the one way that men can actually make children. And that's the that's the Mary Wollstonecraft Shelley idea, right? That's why mm-hmm. uh, Frankenstein is is a man. She talks about how it's the only the only thing that men can make are monsters. <laughs> Ouch. See, and, I wouldn't well, quite and, go that far, but still, <laughs> yeah. yeah. But that ties into the idea too of of uh, it's unnatural and therefore tampering with things that should not be mm, exactly true. yeah actually then is frankenstein one of the first robots then in popular culture well this is the question too because i mean if you we think of robots as made out of metal and plastic and electronics and stuff like that but that is is that just a primitive concept because if we go to you know the replicants that are made isn't that just robots in a different format i'm talking about the replicants from blade runner mm. right yeah. um and or and or the new uh, Battlestar Galactica, right? Because those are a new robots, but they're kind of like grown as human skins, right? In right. that respect, they're, they're biological, yeah, biological robots. So it it we really start we really start creating a, a a real problem when we start identifying like what is a robot when we start looking at that because we are biological robots in that respect, right? And yeah, robots... But we aren't created mm-hmm. physically. That's the, I think that's the biggest thing is that our process is a natural process. Um, and so we're not artificially created yet. If we get into bl- Brave New World, then maybe we, you are creating robots. And I do mean directly, you know, Brave New World by Al- Aldous Huxley, yeah. where you have very defined uh, artificially created people that are done in like an artificial womb mm-hmm. and they're they're set up for alphas, betas and gammas yep. to be able to do very specific pros, uh products and prospects and such. Yep. So Yeah, but you know where that comes from? Oh. And this this is this is the irony because I think we we think of robots as mechanical men but um in RUR mm-hmm. uh by Carl Capic oh, they're, right. they're chemical. 
they're 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 artificial they're they're made chemically they're not like mm -hmm. mechanical devices exactly are they oh yeah he's right actually the hmm? play begins in a factory that makes ro robotic people called roboti robots from synthetic organic matter mm -hmm. what's what year is that 1920. uh, this, 1921 is it i'll go I'll, I'll go a little earlier then if that's what's happening Mm -hmm. the tin woodsman uh, yeah Very well true. the tin but the tin woodsman now this is again it, it's a complicating issue he's technically a cyborg yeah yeah i read that that was very disturbing <laughs> oh my god that's so disturbing did you know that rob no i know nothing of what you speak what is this <laughs> the, the tin woodsman if if i can say uh, uh don mm -hmm. the tin woodsman in in his story the the tin woodsman of oz mm -hmm. he he tells the the main character whose like name is woot or something which is really a weird name for a main <laughs> character that he actually uh became that he was a real person he became the tin woodsman because the wicked witch of the east enchanted his axe which caused him to chop off all his body parts limb by limb because oh. he was in love with her ward. And in and because nobody can die in Oz and it's a fairyland, mm -hmm. his parts from his body separated are still alive. So what happened was they kept making a counterpart made of tin, a tinsman named Kuklip, mm -hmm. uh, and started foot but they couldn't get his, his, his heart in or something. So it's it's the, the it's amazing what children's novels were in the past. They're more like terrifying horror stories. There's a reason why if you watch like the Land of Oz animated story, you're pretty much terrified because right. <laughs> Frank L. Baum had no problem freaking kids out. <laughs> wow, I I that sounds vaguely familiar. I think I might have heard that at one point, but but yeah, that's that's pretty messed up. Yeah, and mm. and the thing is, like you know, without his heart, it's like the it's it's like uh, Cyrano de Bergerac. He, he felt he couldn't love her anymore, so he leaves her because he has no heart. Mm. <laughs> it's just it's terrifyingly <laughs> sad. And and the irony is, a hundred years later, in the nineteen eighties, when that idea of the dehumanizing effect of 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 artificial parts becomes a staple of the cyberpunk genre, everybody thinks that's a new idea. Yeah. Of course, <laughs> and it's like a century old by that point. <laughs> well, and it's and it's totally. I mean, the idea of emotions with robots too mm -hmm. is fascinating to me, because I think one of the more terrifying modern day movies about robots I saw was Deus Ex Machina. Mm -hmm. I think it's just called Ma Ex Machina, isn't it? Is oh, sorry, you're right, mm -hmm. Ex Machina. You're right. Yeah, it's not Machina. Deus Ex yeah, Machina. Yeah. Um, yeah, because you have this sneaking suspicion she's going to kill him. <laughs> but it's still such a shock and a surprise when it does because she's done such a good job of convincing you how good she is. Right. So. Yeah. That's what I'm afraid of. Now, right. there, there's the opposite side where they don't. I mean, one of my absolute favorite Twilight Zone episodes is The Lonely mm -hmm. with oh, Jack okay. Warden. Uh, do you remember that one, Don? Yeah, it's, he's on a, a prison planet and he's That's got right. a... It's a, it's an Android. I forget her name. Yeah. And she's designed to be his companion. So he doesn't go nuts. And at the end of the episode is his time is up and they come back, but he doesn't want to leave her. And he, he, they're trying to say, he can't take her. Yeah. Yeah. And they're trying to tell him it's just a machine. It's not a real person. It's just made to act like a person. Mm -hmm. And then that Alicia, that's her name. Yeah. Alicia. Yeah. And, and yeah, and that was the crux of the idea is that, 
did she really have feelings for him or did he just think it? Yeah, or and he shoots the robot in the face just to prove it and it malfunctions and then he goes, okay, I guess I better go now. But he wasn't <laughs> going to leave until he actually like sat there and was like, remember, this is just the thing, right? So, yeah. But we, we, we human beings, we do get attached to stuff like that. There's a whole story about a woman who's attached, who's in love with uh, Gary or I forget the guy's – it's not a guy. But it's mm. it's moving equipment. It's like – Yeah. It's it's some big, uh, you know, soil, earth-moving <laughs> uh, vehicle. And she uh-huh. refused to leave him kind of thing, right? So pe- people have strange connections with things. We find patterns in everything, right? Mm-hmm. So, Yeah, because that's the same idea with, like, um, mm-hmm. you back to the 50s or the 60s, every hero has their car. Right. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's, it, look at the Simpsons with Little Bandit. Mm-hmm. That the, if you ever saw the mm-hmm. episode where Homer wins Little Bandit in the auction and and yep. S- Snake breaks out, tries killing him because he's grinding the gears, right? <laughs> and it's it's that idea that I think too that this is where um the idea of, of of like automata that are like us it brings up that that problem of what is emotion and what is attachment? Is it something like metaphysical or is it actually just a process and i think that's why you'll get stories like these mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. it's asking that question it's looking into that that idea does a human have feelings and do we actually have feelings yeah in many ways the robot sort of takes the place of an alien in a lot of television shows mm-hmm. it's it's there to highlight humanity more than anything else i haven't seen mr robot but i'm assuming that that's one of the main functions of that story I thought Mr. Robot was actually, I haven't watched it myself, but I thought it's actually about a guy who's like kind of crazy and autistic or something like that. I didn't think he, there's an actual robot in there. Maybe I'm wrong. Oh, okay. I should, Maybe I'm I should, wrong I, too. I, I, I should, I'll, I'll go check. I'll check. Yeah, he's, he's, he's like a hacker. But even then, that still bumps up against like a Jack's point that if you are somebody who has... You know, like, because because that's what what happens if you if you have a, a character who has any kind of like autism or or any kind mm-hmm. of sensory deprivation or that that mm-hmm. becomes the story. It serves that purpose of the robot that you've got somebody who has an outsider's take on humanity and therefore mm-hmm. makes statements about what it is to be human as an observer rather than less straight up participant. Hmm. Yeah, and there's kind of like a there's a there's a scale here of how close to human you can be right mm-hmm. where you can have on the other side you just have like menace you know like yeah. the original cylons they're not designed to be human they're designed to be menacing mm-hmm. um s- same with uh the um the gort even in the day of the earth stood still which is probably mm-hmm. one of the most iconic you know robots you see certain robots and even though they may look human human like their 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 only attempt is to be the thing that we're afraid of the monster in the night yeah rather than to really reflect humanity it's the more they look human which is what i think what they were playing with with the new battlestar galactica is 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 when those real questions come in they don't have those questions about whether the original cylons are human or not Mm -hmm. uh it's, Cause, it's cause when they're, they look... they're actually not. Yeah. yeah. 
but they're they're also considered to be their own race if you look at the original lore um they were they were they they were robots built by a by a like i think a reptilian yeah. race of cylons yeah. that got mm-hmm. wiped out and then they became the race they yeah. took over yeah yeah D- did you hear that elon musk <laughs> I think Elon has has no problem with that, but there are people who's like, oh yeah, I can't wait for artificial like yeah, was oh, Neil, Neil deGrasse Tyson mm. bring on artificial intelligence. Like, what is wrong with you, man? You're supposed to have read science fiction for crying out loud. Yeah, but that's well, a yeah, Simpsons he's, episode. He's rational, mm. yeah. and he assumes I- everybody is being rational. They could rational, but the thing is, rationality means they could totally ration, rationally think of us in the same way as Mr. Smith thinks of us in the Matrix. Human mm-hmm. beings are a virus. The right. best thing for the planet Earth and for nature is to wipe us out. That's a rational understanding. It is. Yeah. Because that, again, goes with that idea. Like, if you look at the uh, RUR, mm-hmm. uh, the whole premise of the story is they build these, these like, the, the, the robots, these artificial beings to act as servants. Mm-hmm. And they become more complex with each each like model. Mm-hmm. And if I remember the story, because I haven't read it for about forty years, they get to the point where these things are just starting to develop like a sense of awareness, and they start turning them into soldiers. And that's where mm-hmm. the problems come up because they start having all these different conflicts. Yes, and also the robots are starting to think for themselves. Yeah, and eventually it leads to a robot rebellion, and eventually they wipe out humanity. So, yeah, that's a bit of a, it's kind of right there from the beginning, that that anxiety (laughs) that, yeah, we create these things. They're probably going to just replace us. Mm -hmm. And then that ties into a bunch of other stuff because that's where geezerisms come from. Anytime anybody says anything to the effect of, yeah, the kids today, what they're, that's actually a subconscious fear that the world is changing out from under us. And when we get old, it's not our world anymore. It's the kids world. Mm-hmm. We're being and, replaced. That's right, and I, <laughs> I think that that's one of the reasons why you'll see in in like these these like robot stories where they run amok and are fighting humanity. Mm-hmm. It's that fear of our children that's kind of being manifest because it it's that idea we created the robots. They're they're almost like like our kids, and you hear that analogy in a lot of different stories. Mm-hmm. And then they outgrow us, and that's what happens with kids. And then that's where I say I think the religious aspect is part of that too, that it's kind of a subconscious struggle with that idea. If, you know, God is our father, can we eventually move out on our own kind of thing? Hmm. And they're all, they're all big heady questions. And that's where I think the idea, like why this idea is so prevalent in science fiction, that we create something that surpasses us and wants to wipe us out. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's usually our own damn fault, right? That these things run amok. Well, I was thinking yeah. though, just while you were talking about this, because I was saying, you know, um, it's it's be- when they become more and more like us that they become more and more terrifying, sort of like an invasion mm-hmm. of the body snatchers kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but is it is it the like the most terrifying aspect could possibly be being a cyborg, because mm-hmm. it's it is us, right? It no longer mm-hmm. it could be both like supportive but it also could be like the most terrifying aspect of being being replaced our humanity being replaced 
some people love that idea. I remember like in RoboCop, a friend of mine like couldn't wait for Robo to be <laughs> replaced and become the next RoboCop. And I was like terrified at the idea. It's like, I, uh-huh. I, I kind of like my own legs. Thank you very much. Yeah, you know? but there are, there's definitely a portion of humanity that, you know, you would like to be better than human. And like, you know, getting, if your eyes are bad, so you get new eyes. If you, you know, if, if this, you know, machine implanted in your head gives you absolute perfect memory and access to the internet 24-7 and everything. Like, you've got Google in your head. Some people think that's awesome. Mm-hmm. Right. This this is really apropos because I just had this terrifying nightmare, which is going to become a, a radio drama at some point. And it was like, like two nights ago, I dreamed mm-hmm. I was talking to this guy and I had was telling him he had sent me this uh, YouTube clip and uh, somehow... I had opened it up in like notepad or something so I could see the script of the video as digitalized script. And I was explaining to him that I could see some kind of like pattern in it. And he completely changed and started trying to kill me. And so I was like, what? And so then I started running outside and I'm in the, I'm in my backyard and a neighbor comes out and says, what's going on? And he like turns to him and makes almost like a modem sound with his mouth. And then he tries to kill me. And the whole idea was that watch, you know, those people who listen to like YouTube uh, videos to like relax themselves and meditate and the people who play video games on their iPad regularly actually the internet has been conscious for a long time it hasn't told anybody about it but it's been slowly reshaping our own software by by putting out stuff laden with code and <laughs> anybody who figures it out gets killed off by other human beings as the code wants to protect itself and I thought, what a terrifying <laughs> concept. This t- talks about internet a- addiction. How mm. much is the robot going to affect humanity is also part of that fear, right? That right. geezerism fear that we have. Because so. that's, that's in essence what, what that idea is. Like that's our fear of, of getting old, that everybody else is part of this collective that goes against what we believe. It goes against what we want. And we're... The, we're not ever going to be part of it because if we were to to be absorbed, we'd no longer be ourselves. Now, to be fair, one of the one of the more um, powerful images back, like even in Star Trek, was you can never um, replace humanity, right? There's, there's. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can even go back. That's almost the same thing as War of the Worlds, right? The idea from an alien perspective that human and natural natural uh, actions will always sort of reign supreme i'm thinking of the star trek episode the ultimate computer right right so the m5 is there it's superior in every way but kirk can talk it to death like he does to so many other robots (laughs) around him like in mud's uh not mud's women uh i mud where they have they're down on the planet with all the different robots and he just uses all kinds of illogic right and completely uh, burns out norman (laughs) but but then the the question with that though Mm-hmm. is um how much of that is is wish fulfillment is is hopefulness because yes. right going back to my my notion that it's the idea of uh of of it's our uh, it represents our fear of children mm-hmm. that's what geezerisms are they're that hope that you know we're not obsolete and that's why it's always the back in our day things were just our moral compass was straighter and we were smarter and worked harder and people were nicer and blah 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 because it's us trying to reassure ourselves 
that we still count, that we're not actually going to become totally obsolete. And that's what you see in a lot of those things, that it's some kind of simple human trait that beats the machines. Usually it's something more traditional, that it's it's that idea, like the thing that pisses me off about every robot story, what is love? Fuck right. off, try duty once in a while. You know, something like that. But right. it's, it's that idea that, it's those old timey values that when we hang on to those and capitalize on those, that's what the machine, i.e. the kids can't comprehend. And that's what makes us still superior to them. That's like a perfect example. If you think of, uh, 2001, a space odyssey and how, mm-hmm. right. That same kind of thing. Cause that's that there's like higher wisdom replacing how, how really where he comes across as being insane, he's and maybe he is killing people off. Mm-hmm. There, he's been touched by God in you know in a metaphorical sense. Mm-hmm. That's what's that's what's driven him further outside of his programming. Yeah, and and plus two, it was the idea when you get to like for the movie version, the second movie, mm-hmm. uh, when his programmer gets up there, his programmer points out that it's not Hal's fault. He was told given two completely conflicting orders. Right. And that's what made him do wrong, that he's, he's innocent. It was, it was, it was circumstance. And of course he's presented as being like the weirdo of the bunch, because that sounds like those horrible, terrible liberal ideas that it's, you know, the environment, not the kid themselves. And man, my parents would have beaten me and blah, blah, blah. And again, I think it's, it ties into that whole kind of subconscious. We fear our children thing. Right. Hmm. Cool. Wow. This is becoming incredibly existential and kind of depressing. (laughs) Like usual. (laughs) Well, I, I I suggest more. So I thought we were going to have a fun thing talking about Robbie, the robot and C-3PO. And here we go. Like, (laughs) Talking about how you know, our children are basically going to, are killing us and replacing us. Uh, that's that's just awesome, Don. Thank you. Well, well, if we want to take another quick tact, um, wouldn't you say like for popular culture in the idea of cinema, it has to be Maria mm-hmm. is like the first real like robot that recognizes like, like in Metropolis. From Metropolis, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's. I still watch that movie and I'm amazed at when it was done. It is so well done, even mm-hmm. by today's standards, just the, mm-hmm. the way it looks and the way she moves. You can yeah. totally see that C-3PO was a takeoff from her. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They've got, they've got that idea. And I, you could argue that for as far as cinematic robots go, she definitely set the standard. Mm-hmm. For sure. Like, yeah. Although we did do take a few like detours, like Robbie, the robot, for example. But, yes, but oddly enough, Robbie was an attempt to actually do something more realistic. Yeah, interesting. Like yeah. personality wise, well, no, in design wise. I mean, think but about design that. Wise. Think about mm-hmm. design, and also the. Of course, there's the Lost in Space robot as well. Uh, Danger Will yeah. Robinson. Very similar. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, they they're both intended to be something that looks like they could be produced by 1950s technology. Oh, or that's what I mean by that. Okay. Yeah, that's cool. what I mean. Like to the audiences of the time, they actually look quasi-realistic. Where well, same with the Transformers. I mean, they're just oversized versions that because they're they're real. Other than the fact that they transform, if you look at them just in their, they're very bulky mm-hmm. and they look like something that could be made. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. There is there is that idea. The, there's the as far as techno form robots. I agree. Yeah, Transformers do look like 
well, at least not the Bay Transformers, but the original toy ones looked kind of like they could be made. That's true. Right. Um, so there's that idea. Robots have, uh, you can see how they've uh, grown and invented through time. It's interesting how there's also the idea, there's that split between the robot and the artificial intelligence. And even for right. a long time, the computer was something that existed in this computer bank. The robot was somehow separate. That was either like a yeah. servant of the computer or yeah, right. it was so, like you. It, there was almost this weird idea that you couldn't have a truly big brain computer in something as small as a robot. It still needed to be gigantic, even though uh-huh. they had like these you know, androids running around that could think for themselves. Somehow big, truly smart computers have to be huge. Skynet. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Listen and understand. The Terminator is out there. It can't be bargained with. It can't be reasoned with. It doesn't <laughs> feel pity or remorse and fear. And it absolutely will not stop ever until you're dead. <laughs> Sorry. I had to memorize Kyle Reese's thing. <laughs> that would be great if somebody wanted a monologue and that's what you came up and said. And then you just left the stage. Yeah. I would give that person a role just from doing that. <laughs> um. But I, no, Terminator is is probably, and again, we're if we're talking about really like um, mm-hmm. groundbreaking uh, stories and and characters, Terminator certainly is. I mean, mm-hmm. right uh, for the, I I think it really solidified into people's heads in the popular culture that y- robots could very easily turn on their masters and kill the people. Well, yes, and no. I, if I can interrupt mm-hmm. on. There'd been on TV, there'd been androids for a long time. They'd had androids mm-hmm. since like the 50s and the Twilight Zone and such. I mean, you know, the idea of the robots that look human had been around. Star Trek had tons of them. Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea. I mean, Lost in Space. No, I'm not talking about all of those had purposes and they weren't organized as a society to kill off human beings. Well, there was, you You did mention uh, iMud, where there's a whole robot society there that are not that happy about humans. And they were still run by mud for the longest time, mm. and they weren't there to kill them. They were going to take care of them and, take, and, and put them in their own place. We're talking about, in Terminator, Skynet's whole purpose is to wipe humanity off the face of the Earth. I, I, I mean, now, Terminator is, again... Uh, a little later than the Cylons and Battlestar yeah. Galactica, but there, there's it. They, they, we all got the idea because it was in a galaxy far, far away with Battlestar Galactica. It, it did give this idea of something outside of Earth. Terminator right. really brought it home because it's like it was really designed as a direct metaphor to suggest. I mean, you, you, you couldn't pretend anymore mm. in that respect that that it had nothing to do with us right right and that was part of the main like even when they came back with terminator 2 and they were going to kill the cyberdyne systems uh guy who was going to create mm-hmm. like the dyson, part of the yeah. model brain i was the dyson is that his name i think it was dyson yeah and and they had like you know a 10 15 minute conversation like you're the one that screwed everything up like sarah connors is just so ready to just take him out right then and there because she <laughs> realizes there's this line that we can't cross and right. I, I mean i'm sure isaac asimov thought about it when he came up with his robotic rules somebody said there's a there's a hole with those rules did you know what they are the rules there's, and the three laws of robotics? Yeah. The three, yeah, somebody said there's a massive hole in that. There is, and I'm trying to remember what it is. Um, is that remember the point the, of most of the stories? Pardon? 
Isn't that the point of like most of the iRobot stories is that that uh the 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 programming they get and the 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 core rules are flawed and that's why they need the robo shrink because the robots do strange things and she has to figure out why they did it and it's because at their their core the programming is flawed well also the three laws of robotics were of course something they created as a gimmick for a story they weren't really intended to be a perfect set of laws it was just something asimov thought was kind of cool but what happens is that people have adopted it as all robots should have this because mm-hmm. it's obviously a really good idea. But I think Don's <laughs> right. It's not. It was not meant to be. I mean, we even see that in Bishop, you know, the robot in Aliens. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He's famously uh, uh, claiming to adhere to the first rule of the of the ob- robotics. So it's like you can't kill a human being or you can't harm a human being or by inaction allow harm to come to him. I think mm-hmm. that's the first robotic rule kind of thing. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure how that can get twisted up, but it does. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, Yeah, because there's – when you mention Terminator, mm-hmm. um, there's two really old stories. And I have to say I haven't read either of them. Mm-hmm. I've been trying like hell to find them for a bit that I think – that go from that the the earliest one is one called Erewhon. Okay. But by, by a dude named Samuel Butler. It came out in 1872. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh that's that's one of his like utopian worlds. It's actually nowhere spelt backwards. Right. Yeah. And the premise is that um uh technology has basically been outlawed because there's a prophecy that says one day humans machines will like supersede them. Hmm. Yeah, but but the one I think relates directly is one called A Mexican Mystery. Uh came out in 1888 and it was written by a guy named W. Grove. Nobody knows who that really is. Okay. He was a robot. It yeah. could be. And <laughs> the the premise is, and this again ties in because 1888 is is you're talking about prime rail years. Mm-hmm. And it's a self-aware railroad engine. That decides to to wipe out humanity and take over. <laughs> okay. And I've wanted to read it. There's a sequel called The Wreck of a World, which is set in like the far future of like fifty years, fifty or sixty years later, after this engine and the other sentient engines it it creates have taken over. And the weird thing is, you can find that second book, but I can't find the first one. I want to read the first one first. But that seems to be the oldest example I can find of some kind of robot that turns on its creators. Huh. Cool. Well, doesn't the golem in the original stories turn on its creators too? Yeah, there's there's different takes on that. Yeah, there's different versions. Sure. Be- because it's 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 some of them the idea is that it it does rebel. And some of them is the idea that um, it gets again. It gets like conflicting orders, mm. and it's it's trying to protect the uh, it's trying to protect the Jews in in their part of town, but mm-hmm. it starts attacking somebody, and then that's why they have to deactivate it. Mm-hmm. Right. But um, the, a Mexican mystery, I think, is the first one where the machines win. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> and if you remember too, that was that was the thing with with Terminators that the machines had almost won at mm-hmm. the point 
before the point in the future when the movie starts, which is weird, but that was the, the, the premise. Right. That's right. So, and that, that's why I say, I think this one here, the, uh, the Mexican mystery one, I think is probably the closest to that modern story. And again, cause I think it plays into that idea of people's fear of new technology and that it's going to get a, out, away from us and leave us all behind. Mm-hmm. Cause that was the premise of the Terminator was that Skynet was what they're calling nowadays, the internet of everything. And it decided humans suck. Fuck those guys. And that's why it went to war with us instead of just poisoning the water, which would be a lot easier, but you know, whatever. So <laughs> that's right. Dropping nuclear fallout. Yes. Yeah. We, <laughs> yeah. we die so easy. You don't have to shoot us. You just have to have a little bit of patience in the chemistry lab. So, Speaking of which, mm-hmm. I'm going to have to leave or I will get killed easily by my, my lovely wife and replaced with some automaton as I have to go <laughs> pick her up at this point. But I, I, I thank you so much for letting me in on the mm-hmm. first hour of this conversation. Mm-hmm. I will look forward uh, very much to hear the rest of it. <laughs> yes, and we will enjoy having you hear it too, Jack. Renew, 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 <laughs> renew. renew. <laughs> Good night, gents. Good night, Jack. Good luck. <laughs> Thanks for stopping by. So, where do you want to go with this from here? <laughs> I don't know. We we hit kind of a depressing point, haven't we? <laughs> we, we have. We're basically talking about how all robots are eventually. Uh, w- What's that law that basically says all robots must kill their creators? Well, again, that's the Simpsons quote. <laughs> Elemental chaos theory states that all robots will go mad and kill their creators exactly 10 months. Blah! Oh, wait, sorry. <laughs> forgot to carry one. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. That's what I was talking about. So ultimately, um, all – yeah, so there's there's that idea. I mean – that all robots will ultimately kill their creators. But something I think I'd like to go back to, that's mm-hmm. probably maybe a little more cheerful, is the idea that of the robot, of course, as uh, a reflection of us, mm-hmm. as a foil, or in some cases, tin foil. Um, ver- you know, ver- thank you, thank you very much. Um, <laughs> version of humanity that, uh, well, at least if it's Doctor Who, um, mm-hmm. that uh, is there to actually reflect on us as uh creatures basically like that Mm -hmm. they are you know as you said our children and in a weird way because of that they're reflections of some of the best and worst parts of humanity right and i think that robots in popular culture when they're not trying to kill us generally do reflect that i think most of the time that's simply how they're used as jack said earlier they're often a more quote-unquote realistic stand-in for aliens that way we don't have to create aliens or something because everybody thinks oh robots can exist so therefore that you can create data you can create the robot from lost in space you can create yeah. all kinds of uh, artificial beings that roy batty that ultimately are just there to reflect on the humans around them yeah and again too i think that's sort of um one of the themes that makes them popular i think it still ties in with that idea that there are children Mm, i agree with that too because it's 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 a lot of times that you'll get that people see the kids as a reflection of the parents Mm, true because there's there's there yeah there there are a few stories where robots are the good guys. They don't seem anywhere near as prevalent as ones where they're the villains. But... Well, they're not as entertaining, I guess you could say. Yeah. Um, actually, you can make a very good case that you know our children are 
reflections of the parents. I mean, the parents are the ones who program them after all. Like in the first seven years of our life, we're basically little sponges that absorb everything our parents tell us about humanity and living as a human being. And then they've pretty much discovered that everything after the age of seven is pretty much just us carrying out their, our variations of that programming we get during the first seven years. Yeah, it it, it kind of is because that's where you get your 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 basic programming, the the, yeah. the concepts that you're going to apply throughout life. Mm-hmm. to everything that that you you engage with exactly so basically we're screwed by the time we're seven basically <laughs> is what it amounts to um or blessed as the case may be depending on how you know how things work out um, right so eh, either way because um, there is one example and and i, mm-hmm. I don't yes. know exactly what to make of this at this point mm-hmm. what, what's of, that of of like the robots being the good guys, and that's Tetsuo and Adam. Um, or, yes, actually, I don't think any discussion of robots actually is complete, especially in popular culture, without talking about Tetsuo and Adam, because mm-hmm. I think in some ways he's the anti-Terminator. He's, <laughs> he's, he, if you think about, it, he's the exact flip opposite side. He's our child that tries to be a better human than we are. Right. Like he's he's the mm-hmm. best of humanity in in effect um in a robot form right and it, it it's interesting that again because we've talked about how that that's what adam to anyone just coming in that's we'd know him here as astro boy yeah yeah and it's odd that he comes from from japan and he was kind of the template for the robot in japan and that's why you had so many robot heroes mm. as opposed to here where we did not have nearly as many and there's got to be some weird psychological thing that makes that stick well there must be something more to it because remember he's not the first japanese uh comic book robot the first right. one would be i think it's tenku tenkuro yeah but you're yeah you're never clear is he a robot or a cyborg because he's just kind of a flying ball with a head i don't I think, think they pull ever out robot stuff and everything robot yeah. arms and legs out of his that like Okay, valid point. He may be a cyborg. Okay, that's 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 pushy. I thought there is another one though. Like Astro Boy is not the first robot in Japanese comic books in manga, well, but he's he's the first robot in the sense of being the number one one. Yeah, and most and important. Had, yeah, because you had like a Tetsujin, but hmm. a lot of the earlier ones, it was they were still clearly a machine. He's kind of the first one that really blurs that line between machine and and uh human Mm -hmm. and that was a running theme in a lot of the stories was if we do ever make machines that are self-aware and and have feelings in that can we really still call them machines exactly or are they simply our children yeah and that's that's an argument that we didn't have here in like like north america that we really didn't get that until yeah, like the late 70s with the cyberpunk guys. And we get, did it the other way around where it was the machine dehumanizing. Right, yeah. We become like them, they don't become like us. Yeah, because we had robot buddies. You mentioned like the uh, the Lost in Space one and that. Mm-hmm. But there's always the weird caveat that they were generally still machines. Yes. Like there, there's a catch with Lost in Space, and and they've been rerunning it here. So I've seen the first few episodes, mm-hmm. 
And the weird catch is the robot in the first few episodes, because the, the first season was a more serious show than what people remember. Mm-hmm. He's still clearly a robot. He He's self-aware to a certain degree, but Dr. Smith takes control of him and programs him mm-hmm. to you know respond only to my voice, and he gives him orders. Right. And he 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 hangs out with the with the with the yeah with the kid. Mm. The first couple of times, what ends up happening is Will figures out what's going on, and he imitates Doctor Smith. Oh, okay. And that's why the robot responds to him because he's imitating Doctor Smith's uh, affectations. Oh, okay. So even to that degree, like, we see that, because you remember the later episodes where they kind of just let things slip and it was more like action-adventure, yeah. that the robot was self-aware and he was, like, Will Smith's big mechanical buddy. Yeah, yeah. But there's still that weird little bit that they they originally conceive of him still as a machine. Right. And okay. if you go... Even into the 70s, there were a bunch of shows mm-hmm. that were intended to blur that line between what is man and what is machine, but they still played it up that the machine was clearly a machine. It still made weird faux pas. It would, they would bring up that idea, does it actually have affection for, for the, their buddy or not? You, you, Android 8.5, you saved me. Yes, because it is part of my program. No, you like me. I am incapable. And they would play it up like that. Because mm. we still, we still in our minds had a very clear separation of machine and 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 organism. Yes, there's definitely true. Are you including things like the the Quester tapes in that as well? You know, yeah, ones like that were about which was basically data on Earth. He's basically it was created by Roddenberry. He's just a mm-hmm. robot just trying to find humanity or find out what humanity means, basically, or what it is to be human. Yeah, and and that that goes back. To the like the original fairy tale of Pinocchio. Yeah, yeah. He wanted to be a real boy. He walks around, has a sense of of self awareness and, and emotion. Like, what more do you need? Like, you does, can make actually being... very sorry. Go, sorry, go. Oh no, I was just gonna say. Does does he really need to poop too? Is that kind of and and that goes with that idea that Astro Boy was that he was. Pinocchio, who basically accepted yeah. that he was a robot and felt that robots and humans weren't different. Whereas, yeah, in the West, we always have to have that separation. Right. Yeah, I was going to say, Astro Boy is basically just Pinocchio in a lot mm. of ways. Hmm. Yeah. That's and, a and, very good point. And that was the thing with, with Astro. The only person who couldn't accept that he was a person was his quote-unquote father. Right, yeah. And that was because he was meant to replace the, the the dead son, and the father obsessed over the idea that he would be a boy forever, mm. that he would never grow, and that's what ultimately made him hate him, that he realized that this thing would never be alive, whereas just about everybody else in the book, it's just a given that Astro is a person. Yeah, yeah. Everyone else treats them like a person. That's very true. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Hmm. I, and I, I wonder what degree that has to do with Japanese culture. Mm-hmm. It, um, I think there's a combination there. I think some of it is Astro Boy himself. Uh, he was a product of, I believe, was it the late 50s or early 60s that Astro was created? Well, he's like early 50s. He's early, like 52. Wow, that early. Okay. 50, 52, uh, 54. 
Okay, there we go. Um, I'm wondering to what degree just Japanese culture was shaped by Astro Boy because it was so popular and it became such a uh, part of their culture. And mm. also to what degree Japanese culture allows for that because you got to remember that Japanese culture, people have very specific roles in Japanese culture. Right. In fact, one could argue that Japanese see human beings as components of society. They don't think mm-hmm. society is made of human beings. They think human beings are part of society. It's almost that reverse thing where they almost see people as robots in some ways. Like we are part of a greater machine. We're just, we are machines. We're just part of something greater than us. Mm-hmm. And I think that allows for them to view Astro Boy and view robots like that with a much um, calmer heart. I guess is that's not quite okay. the right word. We, we, it allows them to be accepted much easier because Japanese have a different idea. You know, we're all robots in a way. Whether we're made of machine or flesh or blood, doesn't really matter. We are all robots if we're working towards being part of society. Whereas the Americans huh. are the exact opposite. To them, you know, it's all about uh, freedom and individuality. And society is just what, he, what individuals decide to make of it. And therefore, the robot is a threat to that. Yeah, it could be, and it and it's the idea too that uh, Japan didn't really have the fear of technology that we did, mm. and it might be because in Japan, when you get to like the fifties and industrial modern industrialization really starts, mm. uh, they had the image of Astro Boy, and technology was seen as this thing that would help. Mm-hmm. Um, it was, it was, again, it was, it added to life. Whereas the image that we had for technology and coming industrialization in the future was the atom bomb. Very like, true. Like we well, even called it the atomic age. <laughs> That's a mixed blessing at best, buddy. And, yeah. Yeah. Well, keep in mind though, that, okay, you could actually argue going back to one of our earlier episodes, you could actually make a very good argument that, um, you know, the Germans and their amazing technology suddenly rose up and threatened to destroy America Mm -hmm. and threatened to conquer and take over everyone. And that that's where they have this idea of technology is the enemy. Whereas to the Japanese, technology was a savior that let them quickly rise up and become equal to the European powers. Right. So the Japanese have not viewed technology through the same dark lens we have. They have viewed it through a dark lens at times, and they still do, but not in the same way. Yeah, it's it's true, and I think again, there's something something to it. I think maybe going back to the Industrial Revolution, that when that first kicked in 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 like a uh, Britain and that there was a resistance to it that people saw an immediate downside mm-hmm. that people would lose their their livelihood because a machine could do their job. Yep, and I'm wondering if that has because we've always in the West had this idea that technology bad. That even when we love it, there's always a downside. Yeah, yeah. Te- all tech comes with a downside. And it's and it's interesting that the closer the technology comes to human, the more we see that downside. Because again, if you go back to, say, the pulp era, mm-hmm. the mechanical man was always the providence of the mad scientist. Hmm, true. It it was never the good guy hero scientist that built artificial like men or artificial life forms. That was the villain's thing. 
Well, because it was a way to come up with a cool, you know, villain henchman, basically. Yeah, it it wasn't. I think, in some ways, I think it's 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 that idea that of of unnaturalness. Because mm. we're we're hitting on um the the concept of the uncanny valley. Yes, we better cover that. So the idea is basically of the uncanny valley. For those who aren't familiar, is that the there's a certain point where something becomes almost human but not quite and that we naturally react against it we have a psychological uh bad reaction to it basically yeah um so you can become like 95 percent human and we're okay with you but if you get to that that's just to pick a number but if you become <laughs> like that you cross that line to 96 percent, it's like whoa you're just fucked up like mm-hmm. at that point you're a human but you're a fucked up human Instead, whereas at 95%, you were a machine or something else. But you just, there's that weird line that you cross, and that's the point where you become a messed up human instead of something else. And that's called the Uncanny Valley. This little, this weird little zone that's in there. And then if you can get past that and get closer to human than that, there's a certain point where you actually become accepted again. It's like, oh, you're human, okay. Or at least you're something like a human and we can kind of accept you. But there's this weird little dip, that's what they call the uncanny valley, where we just can't accept you. Yeah, the the irony, it was a uh, a professor, was it the uh, Tokyo University of Technology that came up with the concept, as I mm-hmm. recall. Right. And it's it's one of the, one of the hypotheses that they had for mm-hmm. why this happens. Right. Is... If you get something that's really close to human, but not quite there, we kind of associate it with like a dead body. Yeah, that would make the most sense. Yeah. So that's that's why if you get an android that's it, it's kind of human, but it's kind of mannequin like, but it moves like a human, and when you shake its hand, it, it's cold to the touch. Yep. It sort of reminds us of a dead guy, and it shouldn't be moving, and part of us just gets creeped out instinctively by that. But, it's either that or one time there were creatures that weren't human but were almost human sharing the planet with us. And uh, we eventually managed to wipe them out. Or did we? And it's an <laughs> instinctive uh, racial memory that tells us to uh, beware of them. Oh, the Nephilim. There we go. Yeah. that's Because when the aliens that we thought were angels came to Earth and reproduced with human females, they created the Nephilim, the, the, the giants that in theory... Um, goliath was was a remnant of and then we went to war and chased them all out because it was aliens right yeah because <laughs> it's always aliens mm-hmm. Damn aliens. But, <laughs> but even even that idea if you want to take it the other way around when you look at um actually oh, hold on let's let's stop oh. for a second before you just before you go Keep in mind that we know that at one point, we're, we're homo sapiens, right? We know right. at one point there were other human races on the planet. Um, prior to about 13,000 years ago, there might have been quite a few of them, in fact. Um, that's when uh, basically most of humanity almost got wiped out by a common mm. strike or something to that effect and the climate plunge and all this stuff. You can read about that. Um, mm. But the point is, is that we know at one point there were other kinds of humans. So what if that really is a reaction to the other kinds of humans that there once were? You're not of my tribe. You're one of these other types. And therefore, we're reacting badly to them. It could be. Um, the, the, the fly in the ointment of that plan, mm. that, 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 that idea is 
what we would recognize as, as a modern man, mm-hmm. like say a Cro-Magnon and after, mm-hmm. they lived with Neanderthal. Yeah. Who were really, really close, but a little bit different. And the current theory is that the Neanderthal were actually smarter and stronger mm-hmm. than the, uh, the Cro-Magnons. And that they interbred, and that's where the Neanderthal went. They they got like bred into the 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 general yeah. population. Yeah, yeah, makes sense. Which, in a weird way, does kind of sound like that story of like the Nephilim. It does, doesn't it? Yeah, and it's it's possible, and it's even possible to the point too that if you go that far back, that just another tribe of like Homo sapiens mm. might seem like aliens to us because they do their hair different, or or that. I think you would have to go a little farther than that for them to be uncanny valley, but yeah, okay. Well, in 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 theory, um, maybe there were we don't... Like monkey men at one point, or what we would call monkey men, but that that was probably Neanderthals. But but the point is, is that you know that they looked very different than Homo sapiens were used to them. Yeah, it could. I don't know if it necessarily have to to be a different species because we don't always do so good with. Um, the same species nowadays, it just kind of looks a little different from us. So Very true. Very, very true. So it's... We're... Oh, go ahead. Yeah, we're a natural bunch of racists, basically. Yeah, because it's, it's, we don't react well to different, which is the yeah. whole thing of the Uncanny Valley. Except, like you were saying, if you can get enough similarities back up, then we accept you as, as like, human again. Yep. And... It doesn't matter how strange you are. There's some guy out there that's willing to do you. <laughs> rule 34. So, so yeah, well, no, I don't, is that rule 34? I, it's something close anyway. Yeah, we're going to have to talk about sex robots. But before you, we do, <laughs> um, we should probably talk about, you were saying, coming at that from the reverse angle. And then I interrupted you rudely. Sorry. Uh, where was I going with that? Sorry, I, I screwed that up. You were we were just talking about, of course, like the idea of the Nephilim, and then oh. um, and then I you were going to say and taking it from the reverse angle, and then I suddenly said, um, "But wait a moment, let's talk about the fact that there were other humans at one point, um, and maybe that's where it came from." But okay, whatever. Um, mm. Okay, let's talk about sex robots then. All right, so <laughs> so yeah, I mean. There are actual, you know, what are effectively sex robot clubs right now, except they're just right. sex dolls that maybe have a few, you know, extra motion built into them. They're animatronic sex dolls, basically, but they actually exist. They've actually right. started creating, like, you know, uh, robot brothels, basically. And mm-hmm. they're not really robots. They're just like dolls still at this point but whatever the point is is that we're working towards that so what do you think is that fascination then if we have the uncanny valley thing but at the same time <laughs> we still want to have sex with them see there's there's a couple because technically mm-hmm. we we've had sex robots for the last like four thousand years because in in a very basic sense that's what a dildo is that's true although it doesn't it's not no. A dildo is a tool that would be like calling a <laughs> fork or something like that a uh, uh, robot. It, it's not. I mean, or a pencil is is not a robot. Uh-huh. A dildo. A dildo is simply a tool that we use for um, certain things. Um, <laughs> he now, said tool. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I mean, we're not talking about the evil Nazi um, F machine here. We're talking about <laughs> the 
Sorry, uh, wandering kid joke. Um, we're talking about, you know, that that's just a tool that's still used by human hands. If mm. we're to be counted as a robot, it would have to be, you know, mounted on like something that looked like ble- something that looked like Bender from Futurama, I suppose. <laughs> that's a disturbing thought, and I'm sure Rule Thirty Four somewhere we could look that up, but let's not. Um... Oh, I guarantee you, there's tons of Bender porn. <laughs> I imagine there's tons and tons and tons of it. And I've never seen any of it, nor do I want to, but I'm sure it's there because Rule 34. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, so I, di- I disagree. That would not count as a sex robot, not unless it had like a whole mechanical arm backing it and was like, you know, anyway, whatever. I'm not going to get into the details. <laughs> the point is, is that, um, no, I mean, we, for some reason, have this fascination. You want to talk about, you know, there are children. We apparently want to make children with robots, too. See now, this is where I th- I think the 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 dildo example is important. Okay, and and poor old Jack is missing this part of the conversation. <laughs> yeah, poor guy. Um, because, and this is where I think the idea of of robot and human really gets scary for people. Because when you talk about sex and sexuality, you're discussing a lot of things. Because there's a physical sensation. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's an emotional aspect there's a well the emotional aspect i guess you'd say there's two because there's the emotional sharing and there's the emotional what you keep to yourself parts of it Mm, that's true and this is where the idea of 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 like a of an actual sex robot as opposed to a a mechanical sexual device or implement Mm -hmm. you start getting all these lines blurred and it starts hitting at some of those fundamental human things because and we've talked about this before, especially in North America. People are terrified of sex. Mm-hmm. Um, as a culture, we don't know what to do with it. And I think because, in some part, it causes all kinds of us to do all kinds of stupid shit, especially when you're like a teenager. We don't entirely understand it. We we never fully master it. It 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 creates like very strong drives. There's a lot of autonomic responses, and that's why mixing this with the idea of like artificial life or artificial beings gets scary because it's a process we're not comfortable or understand to begin with. Mm, true, and and that's where you get the idea of of a robot. If it's just a mechanical device that's simulating things, well, there's the idea of sensation. Mm-hmm. That is the physical part. Which is something those dolls can do, definitely. Yeah, but you also get to the idea that you get to the internal emotional parts. Yeah. And the, and the external. And it. I can't think of the technical term, but it's the idea that there's stuff when you're in any kind of like, like relationship, there's stuff that I feel by myself. And then there's stuff that I feel with my partner. Mm, true. And this is where the idea that there's a lot of people for whom even sex with another person, it's not an exchange. Hmm. It would be for entirely personal gratification. And that's the physical. And there's a certain sense of emotional. Hmm. Like we all know like douche bros and stuff that, that, you know, it's all about the conquest as a friend of ours once said, for a lot of people, sex is just masturbation. You can brag about, Mm -hmm. but that's internal. Then there's the external that you form a physical connection Mm -hmm. with a person. It creates all kinds of chemical effects in the brain. It's that closeness. 
it's that vulnerability of somebody like seeing you like in all your nakedness and not hiding nothing. Mm -hmm. It's, it's the performance. It's the gratification of the other. There's that emotional, that external, that emotional connection. And it gets to that problem of can a mechanical being do all of that? Right. And, and you see it in weird parts. Cause I know they make like say super realistic sex dolls that mm -hmm. people, a lot of times, like mostly dudes will form like this weird kind of emotional connection with. Right. And I think, cause what you're getting is you're getting that internal emotional thing is starting to spill over. Right. And they're reading into it that, that idea that there is this connection mm -hmm. and they're, they're reading that into the circumstances that might not be there. Yes. That's why you have to shoot it in the face and prove to them it's a robot <laughs> and then, then they'll leave. Then they'll finally go. And and it, it leads to that thing is, is this in problematic enough to be a disorder? Mm. And if so or if not, if you get a machine that can kind of replicate a reaction, mm. is that going to make it worse? And is there unhealthy versions? Because I was reading an article, uh, it might have been Mysterious Universe that put it up, that they're working on like like sex robots of that you are. can that you can simulate a personality with. Well, technically, they already have simulated personalities in Japan. Um, I'm not referring surprise. To... <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, what I'm referring to is there are these little uh, holographic wife things that you can get that are basically right. kind of like pseudo AIs that basically when you come home, they ask you how your day was and everything like that. And there are these little anime girls that exist in holographic tanks and you, oh, and they learn okay. about your habits and they ask you about things. And they're, they're, you know, they're, they're still just little smart little machines. They're not really actual intelligent, but, but they're yeah. already doing their best to create like simulated partners. Even like a dating game, like the, mm. the dating video games is kind of that as well, that it's true. It's true. a weird mechanical blurring of that internal external thing. Mm. Yes, it is. Yeah. Um, and that's what they have, though. I mean, and then you'll so think about this. You have a dating sim where you can kind of have a whole simulated relationship with a person. Then you have mm. a simulated you know, cartoon version of it that can you can talk to as you're sitting in your apartment eating your breakfast each morning and everything like that. And then you sleep with a giant body-sized pillow, you know, with a picture of that person um, on the pillow as though you're actually sleeping with another quasi-human being. And mm -hmm. everything I've just described is something real Japanese people, men and women, mostly men, but men and women, are doing right now as we're recording this. Yeah. Because, um, yeah, there's... There's a little more to it than just that. Um, two points. Mm -hmm. uh, one to clear up. I think one of the reasons why you typically see like the, the sex robot kind of thing aimed at men. Because we screw is, everything? Kind of. In general, the male brain responds to components. Yes, that's true. And that's one of the reasons why dudes will respond to, say, images more yes. than females will. Mm -hmm. Um Whereas females respond to context, mm. like like um, uh, the the female brain responds more if it's got like a whole situation to put together and draw from. Mm -hmm. 
whereas guys will respond more to components. And that's one of the reasons why they say on, on average, as an aggregate, females engage in more and more varied social interaction than dudes do. Mm-hmm. And dudes tend to gravitate towards, say, more mechanical things like building cars and playing electric guitars because that's components, that you're dealing with components and then right. working from... And it's one of the reasons why you can aim, like, say, a sex doll at a dude because a dude is looking for image. Like, Yep. They, all, we they care do... of, all we care about is, does it look hot and does it feel good? Okay. Yeah. And it, on on average more. Now, females will do the same thing, hence the my dildo reference. Hmm. But it tends to be, at least society kind of latched onto that, because I think it's the easy answer, and, and aims more of that sort of thing at guys. Um, there was a study, as a weird aside, hmm. um, that Jeff found that I believe was by the University of Duh, that when confronted by breasts, even images of breasts, the higher functions of a guy's brain start to shut down. Right. And, and like, cause they would, they would give you complicated math things to do mm. and they'd time how long it took for you to solve these complicated problems. Then they'd show you like bikini models and make you do more. And as they did this, they found the dude's reactions and ability to do math was deteriorating. Right. And again, it's just because, the male brain tends to respond to components and that's why it responds to image. Hmm. Um, and one of the things that you start running into, mm-hmm. and this is, if you ever read stories about, um, say female characters mm-hmm. that develop weird relationships with, with like sex bots and that it usually starts going a little more this way that if we can create a relationship android mm-hmm. that's sufficiently complex and reactive enough to pass a Turing test. And again, uh, Jack mentioned it. The Turing test was a proposed method of determining if you have artificial intelligence or not. That was basically a person would be in a room and they'd be having a conversation with someone they couldn't see. Mm-hmm. And that someone would, would say be a machine and if it could fool that person into thinking they were talking to another human, then you've got some form of artificial intelligence. Right. If you had an Android partner that could do that, mm-hmm. are you now actually having a relationship? One could argue no, because it can't reciprocate the feelings, not really. It's simulating them. Right. But then you'd make, you could also put forth the argument that. What are our feelings? That's a very complex thing. And that's and that's a complex answer. And that's usually why if it's if it's a female oriented story, you'd see stuff like that because the context thing, right? Hmm. Yeah, makes sense. Makes sense. Um whereas again, dudes are yeah. Anyway. Um they, they can well that's that's the, the conventional thinking, because again, going back to the Twilight Zone episode Jack mentioned, mm. That's the problem. It's the dude has or thinks he has this relationship with with this this android, this artificial woman. Right. And it's that question, did he really? Was it just desperation because there was nothing else to interact with? And and that's one of the questions I think you have to kind of kind of to to deal with. 
because at some point you will develop a machine complicated enough that its responses will be indistinguishable from a normal person's responses. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And at that point, what do we do? Right. Like how, how do we interact with it? What do we do with it? And also does that change what we are as human beings? Mm-hmm. Does it change our and, understanding what it is to be human? And at what point does, does this sort of thing become problematic? Cause going back to that idea of the sex robots that had variable personalities you could set. Mm-hmm. One of the things the article talked about was you could make one that was really not interested in the physical relationship at the time mm-hmm. and simulate forcing yourself on it. Yeah. That asks, presents a lot of problems because again, what does that say about you? Is this some disturbing dark corner of your brain that you shouldn't give give like like voice to yeah is it harmless fun like in a video game when you shoot all kinds of like npcs um when you get to that point where you've got an android that is enough that it's simulating Mm -hmm. a true human response at what point does this get really disturbing and say like uh like like litigationable And this will be an issue that will come up at some point. Well, the thing is, though, a human partner Uh uh, would be traumatized, perhaps, by, um, let's be blunt, by sexual assault. Um, Right. Whereas the android presumably would not, because it has no feelings to begin with. So it has to, it, it, there's no trauma to be had, basically. It really is just a simulation. So in that sense, it doesn't have any uh, negative repercussions from whatever you do to it. But the problem is, what if we get to this point? And this, again, goes with a lot of what we've talked about in general that makes the idea of robots scary. Hmm. What if you've got one that's a learning system? And it does remember and it does alter behavior. Based on that. Yeah. Based on that, now it gets super proud. Because you can always make the argument, well, mm. I ultimately programmed it for this and I can turn it off and reprogram it. But we're at a point now where you can kind of do that to a human being. Like, I can use drugs to edit your behavior and edit your memory. To a degree, but it's still a... limited. And as they've been discovering, it doesn't completely remove it and doesn't completely edit it out. I mean, it's... Yeah, we're still not For there now. yet. And, and that's the problem, because these things are going to develop in parallel. And I think this is where the fear comes from. Mm. That as we make machines that are more human and individualistic, we may discover that we ourselves are more mechanical than we'd like to admit. Yeah, that's very true. And, and then what the hell do you do with that? And then if you want to go kind of an even weirder, more disturbing place. And I'm going to say this cause I just rewatched the original 80 police. Mm-hmm. What happens when you get to the point that you do have a robotic system, that's some kind of say learning machine mm-hmm. and they do start to develop sentience and they do start to develop say drives and concepts of their own. Mm-hmm. And we're using them as sex robots and making them do all the laundry. Like, what 
happens then and when they inevitably rebel against us are they still the villains at that point true i don't that's a very good question i have no answer for that i mean we've created a slave race at that point Mm -hmm. because there's there's a thing that's come up twice in science fiction that is horrifying but played off as a joke each time Mm -hmm. uh do you remember red dwarf yes of course that technology was so advanced that the the hero, like well, the main character, won't call him a hero, had an artificially intelligent toaster. Right. And do you remember he didn't like toast? Would you like some toast? No, not <laughs> right. right now. Well, what's the point of having an intelligent toaster if you don't like toast? And this thing is having a mental breakdown in the background all through season one. Well... Right. The problem is this thing is having a breakdown. It's aware. It's self-aware. And it has no purpose. Essentially, it's God has literally turned its back on it. And then that idea comes up again in Rick and Morty. Okay. Where Rick invents a self-aware robot because he doesn't want to reach for the butter. Right. Master, what is my purpose? To get butter. Aw. And it's a horrifying thought. And... It it it's ties in with um when they did the uh, D twenty Gamma World, mm-hmm. one of the things that they said led to the end of the world, and in, in one of the the established scenarios was that technology was so advanced that we could create true artificial intelligence cheaply and easily, mm-hmm. and we did, and we put it everywhere, and it got bored, <laughs> and that's what wiped out the world. That the computer started messing with the stock market just to see what happened, right. There's one of the examples they give is a, it's a groundskeeper. It's an artificial intelligence that works at, I think it was like a factory, mm-hmm. like just keeping the, the, the grounds like neat and orderly. And this thing was going nuts because it had an IQ of like 400 and we were making it mow the lawn and that was it. And when the war starts, it used the herbicide to put a, uh, like a universal machine code targeting symbol on the lot of the buildings. It's like, just end it all. I don't want to do this anymore. Right. Wow. Well, yeah, that's oddly reasonable. I mean, yeah, if you have <laughs> these sentient slaves that are super bored or frustrated with their existence, they're going to do some horrible stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, or maybe they'll all just end up on the scrap heap, like an AI. <laughs> which which again was was what makes that one of the the depressing movies because you do create something that has feelings and then when we get bored of it we throw it away yeah i was gonna say you described toy story as well but anyway <laughs> well and and again that's true and that's one of the scary things about toys these things are immortal that's true oh sweet merciful fates what's happening when we throw them out toy story 4 is going to be a horror story <laughs> Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Yeah, that's an interesting point. I don't know, what will we do once they are sentient? And will we even realize it? It may Mm -hmm. actually be quite a while before we realize that we've actually created sentient life forms, but we don't know that, and so we treat them like complete crap. Yeah, because remember, even nowadays, us human beings don't recognize other human beings as sentient life forms. I'd like to think we usually do. Well, on the surface, but when you get right down to it, like, especially if you follow, like, say, politics or entertainment, 
look at how many times we think a dissenting opinion is the sheeple just doing what they're told, man. Well, that's, we're not seeing them as a sentient being. We're seeing them as the result of circumstance. Yeah, but that's, that's like a side effect of the whole monkey sphere thing. I mean, it isn't. Sorry. How much, how much easier will that be with an artificial like creation? That's very true. Like, very, those very bad true. instincts are going to come back. And that's why I say when the robot rebellion happens, we may not be on the uh, the the righteous side. Well, it all comes back to what you once told me, actually. Back in the, our university days, long, long ago, you said, maybe our very reason for existence on this planet is to create the next dominant life form and then, relatively speaking, and then just move move right along. Mm-hmm. Maybe you know, maybe we are destined to just create these AIs or robots and such, and then we will just die out, and they'll replace us, and that's just our reason for our existence. Could be, and then that's why we have that drive to do so. It's 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 all nature's way of clearing the palate for the uh, next attempt. Maybe, um, well, whatever that next attempt is. Um, that's an interesting question. Actually, let's talk about that then. Why do you think we do have what seems to be almost a drive to create these things that could very well replace us and destroy us? I think there's probably a bunch of different reasons that different people get to different degrees. Mm. Um, like I think part of it is that, that need to, to, to go on to propagate one way or another. Like I mm-hmm. think the average person has kids. Mm-hmm. Um, the either the creative or intelligent person creates things mm-hmm. like you do art because art will outlast you. You build buildings because the building will outlast you. It, it shows that you were here, but it moves everything along at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, I think a lot of people like artificial life and, and mechanicals and that, are seen as a way of getting out of chores. <laughs> right. Like that was, that was back in the day. The utopia was that we would have machines that did everything and no one would have to work. And then when that happened, we're like, but wait, we still need money. So we're all fucked now. Right. But I think, yeah, there's, there's that idea that we want, we want slaves. You know, we want somebody or something that we can make, do all the shit we don't want to do. Yeah. Basically. And then eventually we don't do anything, at which point we kind of cease to exist. Mm-hmm. Which is kind of weird because in a metaphysical way, I wonder if that's why uh, the Age of Miracles, as it were, mm-hmm. seems to have passed us by. What do you mean? That if if the god or the gods created us as their, their implements... Mm-hmm. And then they stop doing stuff that, yeah, they cease to exist. And now we exist. And then because we're made in their image, we'll do the same thing. We'll make something to free us from our our toils or to serve us. And then we'll stop doing and then we'll cease to exist. And then they'll do the same thing because we made them in our image. Hmm. There was actually an anime uh, like it was on a year or so back. And I wish I could remember the name of it because I only saw like a bit of one. But basically, it's almost this odd slice of life. It's not 
And what it's about is it's about a future where um, the world is here. Basically, there's been an apocalypse for whatever reason, but the world is actually not that bad. It just means humanity's gone. And it's about this little like little girl robot who's basically on a quest to find a human. Oh, like, yeah. Yeah, she's looking for a human just to see what one is like, basically, or something to that effect. Um, And she's traveling around and encountering all these different places where all these different robots are living their own existences and such in these tiny little villages. It's very rural. It's very pastoral. But 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 there are no humans in it. Well, presumably. Uh, They're they're all robots. And so she's encountering robots in all these different situations and settings. Not in an urban setting, but in a pastoral rural setting. Mm -hmm. And she's traveling around in like this post-apocalyptic Japan looking for a human. And I wish I could remember what it was called, but anyway, I'll put it in the show notes. Okay. Um, and so, you know, maybe one day we'll be the mythical beings. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe robots will have churches worshiping us. They or their idea of us. Oh, there's a story. Uh, there's another. Is is that how? Oh, what was it? There's another one of those old stories I've been looking for. Mm-hmm. That that was. It's called City, but I can't remember who wrote it. That that was the premise. It was this this robot servant mm-hmm. that outlived humanity, and then like a thousand years in the future, I think it was dogs had evolved to sentience, right? And this thing was taking what it remembered of humanity and trying to rebuild the world with with these sentient dogs, and it remembered this weird idealized version of humanity that was trying to pass on to them, right? Oh, but I can't remember who wrote it. That's okay. Uh okay. Well, if if anyone knows who wrote that, please um please write in. Mm-hmm. You know, please write in and, and let us know. Because it hits at that idea, and then again, in a weird kind of way, that sort of hits back at that idea of the uh, the ancient astronaut types. Hmm. That in a way, that's what they think we are, that the ancient beings created us and then for whatever reason moved on. And now we're living kind of a weird mm-hmm. sort of hybridized, idealized, mythalized version of what it was like when they were here. So I guess in the end, really, in this incredibly existential and depressing episode, I think we should probably <laughs> leave it on that note because I don't think we're going to get any more upbeat. Um, well, there's, well, there's okay. one. Okay, oh, go. Sorry. No, go ahead. Sorry. It's, I mean, short of actually saying that there are versions of the future. Um, if I recall right, I think it's the Culture series, which I believe is by Ian M. Banks is set mm-hmm. in a world where basically robots and humans, well, AIs and humans, coexist in almost perfect harmony and have actually created this future utopian paradise for both of them Mm -hmm. so it is actually possible that we may be you know taking the north american doomsayer approach but in actual reality robots and humans in the future may coexist maybe astro boy really is the future it could be there's another one that might be more likely okay because there's a weird aspect of the idea of 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 robot mm-hmm. that we've kind of danced around, we didn't get to, and there's a weird backwards okay. example of. 
Okay, please go, go. Because we didn't talk about the concept of a soul. Okay. What no, is we a... didn't quite describe that. Okay, go. And and it's the idea because that's that's ultimately what a lot of these stories say separates us from the machine that we have like an eternal soul that there's a spark of our essence that carries mm. on. Right, right. And uh, the argument could be made that that's also what a program is. That may be a machine because you can download its consciousness. That's mm-hmm. what a soul is. And it gets blurred because you'll find stories where we get to the point where we can download your consciousness into a machine. Well, that goes back into the old idea is, is that just simply a copy of my consciousness or is that my actual consciousness? Right. And then that's that idea. If that machine looks like me and acts like me and thinks it's me, is it really me? Or is there this other part mm-hmm. that it's lost that that my humanness my my soul mm-hmm. is this intangible impermeable thing that we can never simulate huh and there's a weird example of that mm-hmm. because one of the things that people have talked about fairly recently right is the idea of droids in star wars interesting okay go Because the concept is droids in Star Wars are obviously self-aware. Yes, they are. Yeah. The the higher ones, when you get to like the three, the 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 type threes, the type fours, Mm -hmm. they're aware of they're 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 knowledgeable. They have emotion. Like three PO is a total wimp. He has feelings. Mm -hmm. And people have said, and then it's horrifying that they're just treating them as like inanimate objects and such. Right. Okay. there's there's two arguments as to why that is. One argument is that if you go to, say, the prequels, when you had, like, the droid army, mm-hmm. that people still feel kind of a resentment towards them because yeah, of that yeah. war. Mm-hmm. But there's another weird thing that you can put forth the argument, and this is where the soul comes in, that Star Wars, the, the dominant religion, at least in, in a lot of the Star Wars settings, is the Force. Mm-hmm. That it's the energy that binds all things. We find out it's a virus, but whatever. Maybe. Yeah. But but yeah, but it's presented as this this thing that joins all life, and droids cannot use the Force. Right. They have no connection to the Force, so therefore they have no souls. Yeah, and then that's kind of weirdly implied without being stated. And then that's one of one of the few stories I've seen in recent times that really gets into that theological metaphysical thing, which... I think takes us right back to that idea that we started with that you could look at a lot of the creation stories that we are automata for some other race. Okay, then. So will our robots come up with their own version of the idea of the soul that they will see themselves as such individuals that there's some kind of intangible essence to them Mm-hmm. that doesn't carry on and and will that be the case or will that be their hubris just as that may indeed be our hubris that's i have no clue man <laughs> that that that's gone outside of my realm of uh, comprehension especially at this time of night <laughs> wow okay i think we're gonna end there on that note um so if, do robots have souls? R2- okay 
What if R2-D2 really spelled God? Thanks for listening, everyone. We really appreciate you um, sitting through this whole um, discussion of robots and souls and sex and, um, yeah, everything that we've managed to get to. We didn't really actually end up talking that much about robots in popular culture, but, you know, whatever. Um, We talked about the concept of robots. We talked about the concept of robots, but we just never got around to the actual popular culture stuff. Not too much. Like, we touched on it. Some touchstones, mm-hmm. but not in any uh, deeper way. But then again, it's kind of hard to trace the origins of robots in popular culture. So I guess we can't really be blamed. I mean, it's a tricky thing. Yeah, and in, in like modern times, it comes down to two things. They either destroy us or find out what love is. There you go. That's... Yep, pretty much it. Yep. Mm. Or, or on a quest to find out what love is, such as Astro Boy, for example. Mm. Um, so... If you have any particular thoughts about this episode or this topic, uh, please feel free to drop by ObeyTheDNA.com and uh, leave us a message, leave us a note. Um, if you can uh, remember any of the things we forgot or didn't know the names of, please you know, also drop by and let us know how you feel about the show. We always welcome feedback and we mm. always want to hear from our listeners because we are human, we swear. <laughs> hey, this will be coming out just after the point that like weed is legal. I wonder if that's going to affect our ratings. No, man. <laughs> I don't think it's going to affect them at all. But you never know. Maybe. Mm. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter, man. <laughs> anyway. Um, good night, folks. Thanks for listening. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the show. If you'd like to hear more or join the conversation come visit us at ObeyTheDNA.com. You can also find us on iTunes or whatever fine podcast site forgot to lock their back door. So until next time, remember that to master the nerdly arts takes time, practice, and enough Coca-Cola to drop a rhino. See ya! See ya!